This episode of Intergalactic Interviews is brought to you in part by Over the Moon Games. Purchase the Fall, available now on PC, Mac, Linux, and Wii U. Blending the best elements of sci-fi creativity, The Fall is being called one of the best games you must play of 2014. Purchase The Fall now on Steam or HumbleBundle.com. Psst, some of us worked on it. Order The Fall today. Buy it now. Go everywhere we go. Who's that there, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, how you doing out there? Uh, of course, this is Intergalactic Interviews, episode 56. 56, folks. Can't believe we made it this far, but look at us now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, today in studio uh, is a very special day because I managed somehow, some way to land uh, 60 minutes with uh, this particular guest. Uh, this particular guest is uh, well known in the uh, producing scene, um, also a, a, a very accredited teacher at this stage. Yeah, and uh, old, old, <laughs> uh, medium, medium aged. Oh, youth. nice! Yeah, nice. medium youthed. Mm-hmm. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you might know him from his work with uh, groups such as Ben Sinister, You Say Party. Ladies and gentlemen. Please give it up for Mr. Sean Cole. Yeah. Oh my God! How you doing? Welcome I'm well. To the show. It's lovely to see you. It is actually very lovely to see you. I think it's the first time we've been in the same room in maybe six years, seven years, eight years. I believe it. It's been a while, but we've conversed and kind of social mediaed our way to this point. Indeed. So, uh, which is how you got me in here? You asked. I, I just I was like, hey, Sean, would you please give us some time? Uh, yeah, I basically digitally pleaded with Sean uh, to provide us some time. Um, I've uh, spent the- I've spent like months just fuming in my room that you hadn't asked me to come <laughs> on this show. I saw Jesse in a couple weeks ago, and I was like, Jesse, come yeah. on. Well, you know, I gotta, I gotta go after a couple of princes before I go after the king. Fair you enough. Know? Fair make enough. some, make some moves. <laughs> uh, so, so the way I, 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 uh, I met Sean as uh, Sean, um, Sean Cole's been a uh, very, very motivating um, uh, mentor to me over the years. He's, uh, he's actually uh, one of, one of the few people I can accredit um, to bringing me up into the entertainment industry helping me cut my teeth a bit and uh, he uh, he taught me uh, a lot of uh, etiquette and how to handle yourself within the industry and uh, various mixing and and cord wrapping techniques <laughs> and, and whatnot but uh yeah I, I think i was supposed to teach you about twiddling knobs and instead <laughs> i focused on how to talk to people right i think that's how i enter the room which uh, is this is a knob twiddling two <laughs> 201 101 mm-hmm. yeah um so l- let's get right into it um sean you've been in the industry for uh, over 14 years now um you've been producing records uh you have um, a pretty extensive uh, catalog of, of a discography of music that you've been a part of. Um, let's jump right into it. What was the first record you worked on? What? How did you land that gig? And and how do you feel about it now in retrospect? Those are great questions. Uh, I don't know. Oh, wow! The first record that I worked on was for. A ska punk band called Huskavarna. Hmm. Um, After were, the chainsaw? Yeah, except it was Huskavarna. Oh, oh there you go. S-K-A. And you can see their graffiti all across Canada. <laughs> um, they were very, very, very crazy lads. And I had I had little exposure to punk rock being from, uh, from New Brunswick. There wasn't a ton of skate punk or snowboard punk happening at the time <laughs> out there uh but but got an education pretty quickly when i was doing live sound in vancouver mm-hmm. and uh they were certainly crazy individuals it was a good good exposure to what uh nasty punk rock was all about um and that was when i was working uh just as an engineer at a studio the first record i produced that i that I really, really loved was the the Bend Sinister debut album Through the Broken City, which was yes. pretty progressive uh, record, uh, but before they were signed and before they were writing choruses. So 
Uh, it was a lot of fun to do. It was it was challenging, and we did it on on a pretty tiny budget. Um, and it's been fun to watch them grow through the years. Uh, I seem to have a propensity for doing first first records, early recordings for bands uh, before they before they get swooped up by a label and move <laughs> on. Uh, but that's a really much like teaching. It's a pretty rewarding thing to see. Right to help people kind of find their voice in the first place. That's right. I've always, um, myself, uh, I've always felt like I, I wanted to become a developmental producer in, mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, is that a thing? Is that a... It's a something I've been throwing around. All right, I like a it. A little bit. I like I it. You like it? Yeah. Because then, then you can be like... Because uh, then you can say, oh, listen, I, 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 uh, I helped develop these guys. And then uh, they moved yeah. on to this other thing. And they're like, That's oh, it. so your developmental producer was blank. You know, like... Ah, oh. Brilliant. Ah, I'm going to use that. Is it though? If you use, no, it, it is. I will use it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's better than than calling yourself the forgotten producer. Oh Jesus! Is that what you've been using? <laughs> I don't know if that's the right yeah, one. It hasn't been working out. Uh, no, I I would say you you are far from forgotten. Uh, you're very well respected in the scene. Um, I I would think that uh, if if there was a say a, a point for you where you said to yourself, okay. Um, I, I can engineer very well and I, I, I can mix very well, but, uh, I seem to produce uh, like amazing, like what, what of those three skills, which, what made you gravitate a little bit more towards producing at this point in your life? Uh, initially it was, I was, I was fiercely staunchly opposed to being a producer to tell you the truth. Cause I, I was a math science physics nerd and I, I, music was always a hobby. I was a DJ and I was on radio and and doing sound for bands through university. But <clears throat> in case just, you can't tell, ladies and gentlemen, me. with that sweet baritone, <laughs> uh, I I just wanted to be the technical guy and I wanted to figure out exactly how to record things, mix things perfectly. And I didn't really, I didn't, ha I I didn't want to deal with people <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> and inevitably, after four years of being the head engineer at a studio, I I found myself having more knowledge than some of the people coming in in terms of what was possible and different ways that we could achieve uh, their goal. So I kind of happened into being a co-producer fairly naturally, uh, and I think it just blossomed from there. I stopped uh, I stopped hating the idea of, of, <laughs> <laughs> of playing Jedi mind games. Uh, no, of coaching people right. through <laughs> their performances and helping them yeah. achieve their best, I guess, is what, what is the best part about it. Now, in our industry, there is, there is somewhat of a confidence necessity that mm -hmm. you need in order to lure certain clientele and also to maintain that, that list. Um, how, how is it that you, you are known as being so humble, but you've been able to uh, rise to echelons of your, your current status? How, how are you able to project that, but also maintain your humble nature? Yeah, I, that's a, that is a, tough one i sometimes i feel like it's <laughs> Today's a challenge for you i'm throwing you hardballs it's good you day. keep them coming i sometimes i feel like it's my height and my beard <laughs> <laughs> and that's it yes because <laughs> uh i can certainly be a teddy bear yeah. um the humble thing uh happens i mean i i i remember learning when i was in school that there was a crazy uh percentage of record label bigwigs and execs who were all really tall um, How tall? Like over six feet. Okay, uh, okay. And so, yeah. How tall, I don't know. How tall are you? I think confidence comes from within, though. I'm six foot four. Six four. Mm -hmm. Confidence does come from within, and it it means trusting. In my opinion, it means trusting in your own opinion about what should be done. And I mm -hmm. think if you can do that while removing the ego and feeling okay with the idea of them. Uh, not liking your idea or, or it not being the right idea, then then you can be confident in at least putting your opinions forward, and that's half the battle, really. A lot of times you can feel sometimes, I don't know, for me at least, that when something's, something's right, it's right, but when it's wrong, it's wrong. What is what is a bad piece of advice that you've received over the years? Someone that tried to insist something to you and you realized, hey, wait a minute, that's not entirely true because uh, <laughs> there's there's lots of people that give advice in this industry and there are a lot of people that give weird advice so like what's a bad piece of advice you heard you don't have to no, name it, names obviously but 
uh, probably from, I mean, I, I had an instructor when I was in audio school who said that, because uh, I did a mix that had some things, uh, maybe the vocal was super dry and up front, and then other elements of the of the band were were pushed back with reverb. And, and they said, no, 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 you always have to put every instrument in the same acoustic space. You should, you should give them all the same area to live in. And I, that to me was bad advice at the time. Before that, somebody said you should never go between minor and major in a song. And, <laughs> and I think that rule has been broken gloriously yes. a number of times. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I hear from record labels, <clears throat> or maybe I used to, excuse me, is that I don't know, it seemed like the textbook advice that, that labels would give, which was you have to have a consistent sound, you know, uh, when, when they were offering advice on artists developing their four song demo mm -hmm. or, or even the album where they're saying, no, 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 you, you have to define the one genre, the one style that you play and make sure you're consistent with that throughout the record. Sure, and yeah. I think, I think a lot of people have proved that, uh, that, playing some stylistic gymnastics isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Showing different sides of yourself is good. Very recently, probably, uh, and most obviously probably be the Foo Fighters, mm -hmm. um, uh, with their, their new record they're doing, uh, uh, what was it sound? What's it? Do you remember that? I don't know if you call the name of it. They got the whole HBO thing with it. Yeah. The digital soundscape city or something like that. I don't know. Not sound city, but the yeah, other that one. to me is a brilliant, I oh, haven't Sonic, seen it yet. Sonic Highways. That's Sonic what it is. Highways. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a great way to convince studios all of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to record at all my favorite studios <laughs> all around North America yeah. or the world or whatever. Yeah. So I'm going to do a, let's do a video. Yeah. And we're bringing the 24-7 crew with us, you know, <laughs> yeah. HBO's in the house. And, and then you can it. just cherry pick every amazing studio. Yeah, I'm sure Dave could do that anyway, but. Uh, yeah, it just. I think it was probably easier to... I think what they do is, like, cultivated talent from that particular region, and then they mm -hmm. did music based on the interviews or lyrics or something to that effect. I, I only watched a little trailer on it. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, they perform War Pigs on Letterman, and you're like, wow, like, that's, <laughs> uh, that's pretty amazing. That's a pretty huge display of talent. What a strange dichotomy that is to have Dave Grawl almost single-handedly with that with the sound city documentary and and this uh bring the idea of audio quality to the forefront while the the masses seem to be so reluctant to uh to give a shit just to can give a swear shit. on this or you can absolutely okay, swear on this is this your is your first podcast right? it is my first podcast i think you're doing great by the way oh, so thanks. far I, <laughs> I you know i'm gonna say nine out of ten everyone yeah. can improve that's it i Sweet. give myself a nine right now it's Whew. okay are you are you warm uh, feeling the heat no i'm good i'm yeah. i'm i'm good you've given me cold water can i be honest really with nice. you just yeah. to kind of give you a, a, a moment of of just level ground here for mm -hmm. a second mm -hmm. uh this is episode 56 and uh, I had 56 cards in a deck 56 uh, is there 56 cards in a deck oh no there's 52 damn that's okay 56 <laughs> is significant for something else I forget I don't know what it is anyway it's probably a volt count that you are aware of and I'm not aware of or something <laughs> like that um the uh the amount of episodes whatever that I've done so far in this but then I also had another podcast a couple years ago mm -hmm. so you'd think doing it close to 60 70 something times now mm -hmm. that uh i'd have this pretty down right mm -hmm. but uh this is probably the first episode i've done where i was methodically checking all of my cord wrapping <laughs> techniques and all of my setup i was like these mics better be set up perfect right angles 45 degree angles like i'm not gonna have sean cole come in here who taught me all this stuff and have him be like have you learned nothing from <laughs> what i teach you you know i like your sean cole voice yeah well, my sean cole I've, I've been given a voice i don't know if you heard this but it's like uh i've been told a couple of people around the scene said that uh, i could do your voice okay <laughs> i usually don't do impersonations in front of people though because like i love it well okay well if i do this in front of you yeah the only thing is like because you're here mm -hmm. you're infinitely better than my impression already right so i i can't you do, will I can't fail meet it. I, will, I will be inevitably. second place yeah but if i had to It'd be like this, like, uh, I remember one Sean Cole story once we were, we were in class and Sean was like, uh, taking, he was fielding questions, holding court, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, 
one of the questions was like very very random something about something about baffles or something like that uh, can you can you put baffles between uh, two two principal points of mic uh, i don't know if the xy array is ahead would you be able to baffle that or something like that mm-hmm. and then uh, sean's answer was like uh well you could do that not that i would <laughs> but you could <laughs> <laughs> Well, you could do that. Uh, Well, you could do that. (laughs) Not that I would, but in Bowen Island, I. I It's it's important to 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 encourage voyages of discovery, of course. Right, of course, yeah. Yeah, So you can do anything in a recording. Yeah, and I, I I personally, uh, I do with utmost respect, obviously, and I I have, um, I've kind of uh, gotten to a point where I, I feel it's it's pretty amazing feeling to be able to to reach out and say like hey do you want to come do the show and it's it's uh it feels like a pure thing rather rather than um before where i was like sir may i have a word (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing which is nice but uh, let me make an observation to that point oh here we go uh (laughs) i've actually been thinking about this a lot lately because i i I actually took the last two and a half years off of teaching. I was doing administrative curriculum development work uh, at at Nimbus, uh, which was really cool, moving, uh, changing the entire curriculum or updating and re... It was mastermind fun times. Mm -hmm. And so only recently since September, I've been back in the classroom and I absolutely love it being back. But I've, I've thought that... I think when I'm in the classroom that I think of my students as peers and maybe because as you said I'm middle old no, uh, or no middle. lightly old I don't remember young youth young ish <laughs> uh, <clears throat> maybe it's my age getting to me but but I'm uh, I've pondered actually telling that to my students to let them understand that I see them as peers because I I would have seen you as a peer right from the get-go and I knew as soon as you were finished that you were not going to give up uh your work in the audio industry i really uh, appreciate so that thank I you i guess thank you. what i'm saying is that's been on you <laughs> <laughs> thank you i appreciate that that is uh yeah that's that's wonderful to hear because it it kind of i guess you kind of reach out at one point like you were mentioning earlier when when you were in audio school mm-hmm. that was a fairly new and still is relatively a fairly new concept uh, within the ed- within the educational field, um, being a teacher yourself, realizing that okay, I can provide something here in this curriculum. Not only that, but I can now develop the curriculum and help develop that in administrative form. But go back to teaching. What what is it about taking that hiatus and then coming back into the classroom? What is it about it now that that makes you say, okay, wow, I I, re- I ex- extra appreciate this, or I I see something different about it. Well, it might be, uh, I'm an eternal optimist. And when I did move over to uh, director of education and administrative duties, it was a really great challenge because I Mm -hmm. hadn't been an administrator. I was terrible at emailing and, and we were implementing a computer system that I had to learn a whole bunch of stuff. And I really enjoyed the challenge of, of, working on that um because that's pretty night and day from your regular gig of like hey i I basically know everything on this (laughs) system you know absolutely and then and so now to go back i i guess i didn't realize how much i missed it in the grand scheme of things because uh and I, i even calling it teaching is less flattering i think than mentoring because that's really uh i think especially at nimbus that's what what we're doing we have <clears throat> six or seven students per class eight maximum so you can really See, that's amazing you can really help like i'm listening to their individual mixes with them in class giving them direct feedback so wow. i take a lot of you know i i'm invested in their progress uh as much as as i'm invested in any of my friends accomplishments in the mm-hmm. grand scheme of things so mm-hmm. uh it's really rewarding and it's great and you know teaching's always been fun because you're effectively getting paid to talk about the thing that you're passionate about to people who are interested <laughs> in hearing about it yeah. so <laughs> that's a pretty good scenario uh unless you were maybe teaching driver's ed <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I don't, yeah. I think teaching is fun. <laughs> that was a classic moan right there where you're just like, you went right or left and you're yeah. like, I'm going to see where this road goes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, I, I was going to ask you, um, who who do you look to in, in mixing? Um, under the alias, Dr. Boss, mm-hmm. uh, this is probably the most medically proficient podcast to date mm. so uh under the mixing alias dr boss you've you've mixed tons of records fantastically uh one of my favorite records of, of all time uh, uh cambridge record Sweet. uh if, i just love cambridge so much mm-hmm. and uh jesse laborde obviously all his work um uh, i i just want to know who's someone you look to in mixing and you hear a mix from them and you go yeah, they nailed that, or mm, I wish I could have uh, mixed that. Where are the stems for that? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's that's a really hard one. If you like, you know, Andy Wallace is a super uh, popular mainstream rock mixer who does amazing work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of hard to hear a mix and figure out if who you love out of it because uh, I've. You know, you don't know if it's the mixing as much as it is the production or the recording in the grand scheme of things. Obviously, so I think if someone's getting paid to mix and if something is is uh, popular in the grand scheme of things, then Mm -hmm. it's it's technically correct in how it's put together mixing wise. You know what I mean? Yes, of course. Um, Whether that comes more from the mixer or the producer or the engineer, I think is is harder to say because. Uh, an engineer or a producer could could make a record that essentially uh, they've committed to every sound. They've taken time to create compelling sounds with every track that they put together, and they've been cognizant of of the arrangement of the song from the outset. So that really the mixer's job is is to stay out of the way. And I've been that mixer before when I've mixed <laughs> other people's work, and it's just like, wow, this is. This person was really thoughtful in how they put the song together sonically. Right. Um, I just have to not screw it up in terms of mixing. Um, and yet, I guess there are other times when you hear that something was recorded in a in a basement, and uh, and then somebody did do some mixing magic nice. with uh, <laughs> wizardry, yes, <laughs> to, to to give it something that, a polish that that maybe they had to really dig for. Um, do you prefer working on? Uh, mixing your own record, your own productions, then, or, or, or kind of. I, I remember in school once hearing that uh, uh, you said obviously the control factor is there if you produce it, you know everything that's going into it. But then also there's something refreshing about um, receiving a gift. Essentially, someone gives you a bunch of stems, like do something with this, and mm-hmm. you're like, okay, cool. Uh, do you still feel that way, or is it? Uh, uh, I. I think I prefer mixing other people's work to mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Um, because when you can, when you're being truly objective, if you've just received the files and you're, you know, you can, maybe the producer would give you a rough mix to go off of, but essentially you're, you're able to react to it instantly and, and let your gut guide the choices that you make in the mix. I think that's a, uh, a way to be even more creative than than you might otherwise be, as opposed to when you're, if I have done pre-production, recorded everything, edited everything, right. tuned some right. things, and then finally get to mixing, it's harder to draw that line where uh, it's hilarious. Sometimes I actually put on like a lab coat <laughs> to, <laughs> just to mix so that I feel like I'm a slightly different person so that I can have, Are you serious? try to get that perspective. Yeah. Because I think it's hard. You've, when you're so inside the music for months and months and months to all of a sudden try to flick a switch and go, okay, now I have to think right. about this from an outside perspective and give it a fresh perspective and mix it. That can be, <clears throat> that can be tough. And, and I certainly like, I don't hate mixing the stuff that I work on by any means, but I would love it if everything I worked on had a budget that meant I could get somebody else to mix it. Cause that's really what it comes down to. If the, yes, I yes. can save the client money by also mixing it myself, then, yeah. then I'll probably have to do that. And the times when I have been able to get, um, Warren Livesey locally to mix something of mine uh, have been great. Like, I think we've got a lot of really amazing 
mix engineers in this city, Warren, Ben Kaplan, and obviously Randy Staub, right, Mike Fraser. Right. Um, but inevitably, it's that's another another level from a budget perspective. So, mm-hmm. um, how do you approach this nowadays? Um, the it kind of seems like there's this weird. I don't know. I don't want to say facade, but there's a bit of a um, almost like a veil over the industry that's that shows like uh, here are some bands that there's like a, a handful of bands with large budgets and then there's like uh, some bands with smaller budgets and then there's a lot of bands with like low budget stuff so that's kind of the the portrayal of it but it's not always that way it, there are it's almost like there are just pockets of bands that all seem to work within each other's uh, network essentially mm-hmm. and then they they seem to have budgets. How how do you deal with with bands that uh, approach you that say, you know, have the budget, uh, or say don't have the budget and mm-hmm. want to work with you, um, but but you kind of see something there and you're like, okay, well we could do this. How do you how do you approach that uh, I, as as a producer? I approach it terribly. First of all, <laughs> you the <clears throat> excuse me. What you're observing in the industry is the I think the result of factors. So you have. You have the bands who've been signed to independent labels who get direct board approval, who have a label that may or may not top up that factor money, but that basically starts them with twenty to forty thousand dollars for the record. Right. Um, and then you have people paying for the record themselves, but maybe have investors. And then you have bands who are struggling to figure out how to scratch some scratch together to pay for it. Yeah. Um, uh, how? It is certainly challenging, and I haven't figured it out well because I've never been that great at the business side of things. Uh, <laughs> because you I, say that, but I, I well, would I'm think a, I have a big disagree. heart, yeah, and and I now also have a daughter and a and a wife that I'm accountable to. <laughs> so, um, you know, it used to be a lot easier for me to say, ah, oh, well, I so love this project, I'll just do it for next to nothing, and it'll be awesome and yeah. and I'll be super stoked. Uh, it's a lot harder to do that now. Um, if, whether I have to turn down more paying work or uh, essentially uh, come home and explain that I made less than minimum <laughs> wage to my wife when I get home. Yeah. Um, I wish I could do it more often. But so I guess to answer your question, how do you deal with the bands with very little budgets? First of all, making sure that they are committed to supporting their own project is keen is is huge key um you know when a band says we want to make a record uh but we don't have any money at all and i say well you've there are four of you in the band mm-hmm. uh you know you save up something if you each put in 500 bucks you got two grand and that could do something it can't do much but it could do something that's right um and sometimes I'm met with like, whoa, 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 we're not, no, 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 we don't spend our own money on the band. It's just, we only spend money that the band makes on the band. <laughs> what? And I go, well, what? well what? yeah, we want to get signed to a label. Well, don't you want the label to invest in you? Yeah. And you're not willing to invest in yourself? How oh, was that a yeah. a good sell? Um, it's like they just read Get in the Van or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I budgets can be so flexible these days, especially with the advent and propagation of semi-pro studio technology. Mm-hmm. If I, in my opinion, I can, I really love pre-production. I love helping out with arrangements and, and lyrical tweaks and things yeah. like that. So if I can, if they have next to no money and I say, okay, well then let's, I'll do pre-production with you. I'll get the songs tight. You guys commit to rehearsing like crazy. Then maybe you could record it with, uh, yourselves, you could record it in your jam space. We could record, you know, the beds uh, out of school. Um, do the drums somewhere, something where like they're that. acceptable. Yeah, uh, and then do overdubs at home or at my house, or you know, you can record a guitar and a vocal pretty much anywhere. You're a kind guy. 
Because I think most people. Well, I'm not going to record them. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm exactly. just saying. Yeah, no. You guys can go. No, you're giving them options, though. I'll, I think I'll most... set you up with a good arrangement. Yeah. You go document <laughs> it. I'll mix it in my house, and we'll see what we have. You know. Now you mentioned early, earlier pre-production mm-hmm. and, and how you're fond of that. Now that's something I immediately glean from you, and I, I've used it as the main bedrock foundation of my production. Um, I. I always sit down clients. Now, the majority of my clients being urban, mm-hmm. urban music uh, clients uh, has been uh, sit them down and say, okay, look, we're going to go over this and I'm going to produce you bar for bar and I'm going to, we're going to do this exactly how it sounds and then coaching them through it in a way that by the time we get to the mic, it's like step seven or eight in our mm-hmm. eight step process or something. So they don't even see a mic until that point. And I try to explain that right from our outs, uh, like our, our beginning process. And that was something you taught me, uh, that you were like, listen, if you do pre-production enough and you do it well enough, your session should never have a meltdown. And I'm proud to report to date nine, eight, eight years, seven, eight years <laughs> now. And this, uh, never, had a meltdown ever with his client, not a single one. You've no set expectations. You've yeah. set expectations and everybody agrees, okay, yes, that's what we want to yes. achieve. But how yeah. do you how do you convince them in the first place? Because with urban music especially, uh, I think is susceptible to instant gratification. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean? I just I like I spit this verse with my buddy on his laptop yeah. and it's already done. And why do I gotta well, go through all these hoops to get there? <laughs> well I, I think What's interesting is that um, being in production, but representing different sides of the coin, essentially within genres, mm-hmm. um, you're right. There is this instant gratification that occurs within the urban field. Like hip hoppers, all these yo-yo guys will come in, and uh, and I'm one of them, and, and have been, and whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, they'll come in and they'll be like, "This is what I want to do," and it's like, "Okay, this is what you want to do. This is what uh, we're gonna do." And then we 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 I kind of try to. I try to meld our, our, both of our desires and wants into one goal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's like, okay, I think you'd probably be best served with uh, this other producer. Or uh, mm-hmm. maybe you should take some time first and work on these arrangements. Or you need to uh, develop or whatever. What I mentioned earlier, being a developmental producer, I, that's the kind of stuff I want to, like, bring them to a stage yep. where it's like, okay, hey, let's, let's see how you are. Because... Um, it's interesting that you can be a producer in hip hop and make the music essentially mm-hmm. and, and be credited as a producer. But most producers, so to speak, are beat makers in, in the field, yet they're credited as producers just by the sake of credit breakdown, whatever. You mean because they're not, that's different because they're not uh, coaching the vocalist yeah. through the... Yeah, because the then the, the the artist produces themselves essentially because they're like, send me the beat, all right, dude, all right, dog, and then they they mm-hmm. send a verse back over the internet, and then they're like, yeah, man, what do you think of this verse? Just mix it in, all right, cool. Talk to you later. And then like he's doing that artist is doing that with like five or six other quote producers, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden he has an album, but there's no cohesion there, and there's no there's no. Uh, say even chance or opportunity for growth unless that particular artist is very introspective and is capable of saying hey I hear myself on this record and I don't think I should say it like that I think I should maybe approach it again and you've run into that trap right yeah and it must be tough for those artists not to get that kind of feedback I guess it's the bravado and confidence that they yeah that's another thing too is like I think at first when I started producing uh, rappers it was it was like I would be approached by other rappers I know and mm-hmm. they would say, Hey, I like, I like how you produced yourself on this song. Can you make me a song that sounds like that? Or can you do that for me? Mm-hmm. And then, so it was like, okay. And then, yeah, I'll do it for a bottle of Jack. Okay. Yeah. I'll do it for a case of beer. And then it's like, I'll do it for a hundred bucks. I'll do it for a couple hundred bucks. I'll do it for this. I'll do it for this. And then you build up until you kind of, you're like, okay, this is, I guess what I'm doing. And it's just <laughs> kind of, you know, like, you know, how it goes. Right. Yeah. So, that's kind of how it it built its way up but then eventually i got to this point where i realized i was like okay so i'm i'm doing more than what urban producers do so to speak like i look at a guy like say ryan leslie or timbaland pharrell these guys that are like multi-instrument 
that can play multi instruments. They can, uh, they themselves could probably do the record. That's it, and mm-hmm. then don't not have to worry about an artist. Period. Uh, but what they do enhances the record, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted mm-hmm. to like maybe work more into that role. So now uh, I've been trying to ask like panels or <laughs> like whatever bio kind of stuff that happens. Try to remove the urban part from the producer name because that makes people think of you know you're a DJ or something like that <clears throat> I, I try to right. kit, cut that out of that because it also cuts your who you can work with and whatever right that's a fair point yeah I, I, and I would say even in non-urban uh, circles the term producer can mean so many things because there are so many different types of producers there are producers who yeah. don't do pre-production at all at all yeah there are producers who don't offer um uh you know steve albini produces lots of records but he is more of a documentarian in the grand scheme of things he Mm. he doesn't give them like he asks the artist when they have the take that they want you know he doesn't he produces he produces the recording and he documents it incredibly and he he's a brilliant engineer for a certain style of music Mm -hmm. um and he's certainly called a producer and he's a brilliant guy but in the grand in the normal sense of the producer word he he'll be more likely to hit record and kick back and do a crossword puzzle and (laughs) and say like so you guys happy with that because it's like he sets sets the atmosphere exactly and then after that it's it really is on the artist anyway and that's huge too someone who really knows how to who to how to set the yeah set the set the tone set can, the uh, environment the vibe light the right candles <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly uh let, let me see here one second Wait, what time we got here? oh yeah okay we got a little bit of time i'm good i know we're we're rushing this i know because because uh i i threw this at you last second and then i was like oh by the way i have to run out the door after it and i, I know you're a busy guy too it's so all I rush good you. um let me uh Oh, let me just think. There's so many things I, I want to catch up with you about, but uh, uh, oh, okay. I don't know if you're comfortable speaking about this, but um, uh, a few years ago, uh, tragic events with uh, a band you work very closely with. Uh, you say party, formerly you say party, we say died. Now you say party. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the the drummer of the band uh, unfortunately passed away. Very tragic event. Uh, obviously, working with the band directly for several projects. Um, how did that affect you uh, in in your work and how you interact with artists? And, and how, how did you how did you approach maybe working with the band uh, after that point? Well, I didn't. I hadn't been working with them for a while uh, when when Devin passed. So I had already. I think they had done one record with another producer. Mm. Um, <clears throat> now they were all. Uh, I. I was in touch with them all for sure. Um, and I had known Devin, uh, before long before he was in you say party. In fact, uh, Oh, okay. Um, he, so yeah, so I don't, I, and now I think you say party is working with, uh, a excellent, excellent engineer and also a former student of mine, Jordan Coop. Um, who used to be a partner at Fader Master Studios with Mm -hmm. us as well. Um, I, so I don't, I didn't work with them afterwards either. Um, it did. And I had a a personal tragedy at around the same time with a family member of mine. My sister actually passed away. So I think in the same, in the same way it, as I'm, I'm sure it does for most people who go through, uh, those, harsh reminders that life is fragile and and age isn't what dictates when someone will leave us Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it helped me uh, try to appreciate each moment more all the time in everything that I do and I think that's important for all of us to learn in the grand scheme of things Um, you're always so zen (laughs) did anyone ever tell you that? you're you're always so like uh, it it seems like I, I would think even in times of great tragedy you'd still be very centered very very zen it's yeah i try i try i haven't uh yeah i haven't studied anything (laughs) in particular any one particular uh teaching to keep me on that path but i certainly try to keep things in perspective and and uh 
and learn from every great and horrible event. Of course. Um, would you be okay if we uh, switch gears for a sec? Anything. Okay, just hang tight with them. One sec. All right. <clears throat> Sir. Hi. So, uh, you're ready to play everyone's favorite segment, Rapid Fire? Yes. Now, these questions have been developed specifically for you, Sean Cole. For me personally. You personally. Okay. Um, you put a lot of work into this, Jamie. This, you know, well, you know someone's got to do it, I yeah. guess, because it came out of my head, That's so I good. should probably do it. Yeah. But uh, the, uh, the questions today... Wait, can I take a What's picture of your frame nicely with the guitars behind you? Sure, there. no problem. I think uh, if we're pulling out phones and social media, yeah. rapid fire and such things... <laughs> Oh, this little pose right here. That's a really good one. Instagram will fix Perfect. it. Perfect. I appreciate that. Hit me. Um, this game, you have to pick uh, one of the two options. And because you it's rapid to. fire, yes, you have to. All right. And so uh, we're going to do this first. There's okay. no, like, pass? No, or... you can't pass. Especially you can't pass. Okay. No neutral answers. It's got to be. It's okay. So uh, question the first here. Let's see here. Um, one. Pro Tools or Logic? Pro Tools. Excellent. Why? Uh, well, if you'd said Pro Tools or Cubase, I probably, my head would have exploded. But, oh, okay. Uh, Jeez, I knew I should have picked one. Ah. Okay. Uh, question second. Mixing or gardening? Oh, yeah. Mixing. They're the same thing, really. I knew, you know what? I felt like you would say that. That's so funny. <laughs> I thought Are they not? Say. I thought you would say that. That's hilarious. Um, uh, look, okay, this is a good one. What's more important uh, for a skill to be developed uh, as a beginning engineer, mm-hmm. say in the field of audio? Yep. Uh, is it uh, as opposed to bridge making? That's right. Okay. <laughs> uh, also an engineer, but uh, would it be wrapping chords or learning when to be quiet? Hmm. Learning when to be quiet, because one must be quiet in order to hear how to wrap cables. That's Yes, that is so... I think I could have wrote that out. I think I could have guessed that exactly. That's hilarious. Okay. Uh, I'm not predictable, eh? Uh, number, you're predictable in the best ways. So that's the best part. It's like, oh, man, you're just a smart dude. That's all. Uh, question the fourth. Man Why don't bun. you say question number four instead of question the fourth? Question the fourth or whatever? That's, is I don't that know. a thing? I, 55 episodes deep I've been doing it. You're like not going to change. Should I change now? No, 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 no. I'll change for you. Don't let me Don't let me throw you off here. This is how I roll in relationships. Question I'll change fourth. for you. <laughs> never. Never do never, it. Never change for anyone. Uh, number four here. Man buns or beards? Ooh, Ooh. beards. Beards only because uh, you've had a beard longer than a man bun. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Is it true what they say about man buns can cause... To uh, make you bald? Bald? Is I tr- read that article. Apparently, uh, it's especially true when... Because when, apparently it's a, a, a trend now. It's a fad. Uh, You've been doing it a long time, though. They, uh, they shave the sides all down, and then they have a little bit of hair left over on the top, and they do the super tight man buns, right. and that's where it gets nasty. So keep your man buns loose. Loose. <laughs> That's the weirdest advice <laughs> I know. I've ever had. Uh, and question the fifth. Who is more likely to trash a hotel room? You say party or Ben Sinister? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go with Ben Sinister on that one. Ben Sinister, some uh-huh. hotel trash and fiends. Uh, they are rock and roll. Rock and roll. like those guys. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Uh, okay, so that was rapid fire. Thank you for playing. Thank you for researching. I should have said Cubase. Cubase or Pro Tools could have had a 20-minute video. That would have been really hard, though, because uh, <laughs> Pro Tools for mi- recording and editing, Cubase for mixing. That's about that's about how I thought you might say it. <laughs> that's good. I appreciate it. Okay, hang tight. Yep. So the, all these questions come in via social media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put out requests for questions when the guests are on the show, and then that day we take all the best questions. And uh, we ask you, the guest. So all these, again, are specifically designed for you, producer extraordinaire. This guy. Sean Cole. Uh, Sean Cole. Question number one. (laughs) (laughs) Question the first. Uh, Yes. Do you feel any plugins have now surpassed their hardware equivalent in terms of sonic quality? Hmm. I threw this one here because I just figured this is a good one to ask for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Not really. I think the L2 was one of the first things that went plug into hardware, and then they had, they had abandoned doing hardware. So L3. You actually own an L3, L2, right? No, I never did. No, no. I scoffed. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are a lot of plugins that that are especially for mastering uh, that do things that hardware can't or that nobody's tried mm. to do with hardware. Right. But yeah, I don't, I think uh, they've done things differently. It's nice with the universal audio plugins that I can have seven different versions of a Fairchild <laughs> that are all based on different legacy models and, and certain particular units that are in famous studios. But uh, uh, flexibility doesn't mean better. That's true. I, I, I feel like we are reaching this weird it's like digital was like crushing for a while and then analog is having this renaissance and it's like where do we where do we sit right now it's kind of a weird time to be uh be in the middle of that argument uh fun options all around i think so um second question uh this comes in from uh, uh, a former student of yours uh one of your former padawans wanted, wanted to pass this on uh sean do you still tell students to put salt in their coffee machine? Question mark. And then, if so, don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe maybe it's because there was no good uh, people don't know. Maybe disclaimer. Should, yeah, maybe you yeah. should tell them. Like people out there, they're like, "What salt in the coffee?" In the coffee ground. So when you're making coffee at a studio, that's typically first of all, if you don't know the typical first job at a studio is making coffee coffee maker in the uk they would have called you the tea boy that's right um and man do you ever make a lot of it yes you do make a lot of it and coffee's expensive and some studios can't be all hipster getting the best coffee grounds so uh they might be dishing out some previously ground maxwell house or nabob or something right um you want the coffee to be strong, so usually you dump in a ridiculous amount of grounds, more than they would ever recommend, but that makes it bitter. So to take the bitterness away from trying to make extra strong coffee with shit coffee beans, coffee mm-hmm. grounds, a pinch of salt in with the grounds before you let it go through uh, makes it better. Takes I remember away that the day. I remember that day vividly in class. I was like, "These are the, these are the gems that I'm taking home." I'm like, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I tried to make it extra dramatic by like writing it on the board yeah, as well. I think it was a bonus question on one of the exams uh, or something. Yeah, like See, <laughs> it's like, important. Like, shit, and yeah. how would you approach <laughs> making coffee? Uh, okay, um, another question comes in here. Uh, this one comes in via Facebook. Um, as as a lot of time has passed and nostalgia has had time to develop, what is the record you are least proud of sonically and be most proud of sonically? I think you kind of already answered the that latter half of that. Um, uh, well, that was, yeah, that was a different question, though. I guess maybe not sonically. From, yeah, but, yeah. from the beginning. I'm, I'm really proud of the Yukon Blonde record. Uh, mm, nice. The first one we did together, they were really great to work with when I when I got together with them initially uh, I knew they were committed to bettering themselves which is kind of what sold me on it when they I suggested they wanted to do all these harmonies and I suggested that they should take lessons so they could pull it off better right and they all joined a choir in Kelowna wow to get free singing lessons <laughs> but it meant that they had to like these glorious dirtbags had to show up on Sunday morning <laughs> and sing in the choir of a German Orthodox church in order to get vocal lessons. So, uh, overall I love those. I love the sounds. I love the, I love, uh, it feels really good to listen to that record for me. Um, that, that's true influence, by the way, you could, you could push lifestyles like that. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, they, uh, least favorite is a much more difficult one. And inevitably, it would have to be an earlier work that maybe where I wasn't on top of my game I were still had so much to learn. We all still have so much of course. to learn, don't we? Yeah. That's something you always push is that you can always learn. The guy who stops learning is the guy who is True. falls back. Yeah. I will never go, whew, I learned everything I need to know about <laughs> audio recording. Uh so that's a tough one. There was a a band, a porno funk band called Slow Nerve Action that I worked with that mm. I 
absolutely loved and who wouldn't love a porno funk band are marty intrigued you know, <laughs> um, honestly yeah. and we did their first record called uh the soap of beautiful women in <laughs> two days we recorded and mixed 14 songs including such uh gems as astroglide and uh <laughs> damp the room is filled uh, with astroglide. It was an even catchier course than that. Oh, but we recorded thank it. Thank you for and shooting I that down. That sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to prop them up. That's okay. No, it's good. Uh, he didn't have his lyrics together. So he did a lot of freestyling that even, even the singer is, uh, you know, they went on tour after that and he kind of solidified more of his lyrics a lot and his style, oh, okay. to be honest. So a lot of the, he was rapping a lot of the, <clears throat> the verses and it was somewhat jarbled. I think he, he, he got I know he got a lot better so like looking back retrospectively you would have because I I worked with them for a long time after that and I heard what the songs became from Mm. that first record and how how eloquently he put together the lyrics eventually but yeah uh, that first record doesn't really it doesn't have the togetherness that he achieved later that's understandable obviously um I think we have a couple questions that came in through Twitter excellent uh these questions are for you, Sean Cole. Tweet, tweet. Uh, the questions I have here are... Uh, oh, Jesus, what this... Here it is. Okay. Question number one from Twitter. <laughs> Question the first. Just the first. Uh, uh, hey, MD, can you ask Dr. Boss, you, Sean Cole, what his singing skills are like? <laughs> Also, how does he manage to keep his hair so silky and shiny? Oh, look at that. Just well, Vidal Sass smooth. Uh, my wife bought a $50 bottle of shampoo, <laughs> and uh, I scoffed, I hummed, and I hawed, but it is quite effective. $50. Better yeah, be. It's, yeah. it's good stuff. Uh, <laughs> what was, oh, the singing. Uh, yeah. when, before I got into re- making records, I was in musical theater and uh, choirs as well. So singing is probably what I am the most confident with. But I'm a, I have a bit of a low voice. I love your baritone, which means uh, ra- not typically the lead. Yeah. So I mostly do harmony. Sometimes, actually, in one of the Yukon Blonde songs, the melody of the chorus, uh, in my opinion, where the singer, the singer. Uh, Jeffrey has a higher voice, great voice. But when I got him to sing what I wanted to be the main melody, it was too low in his range, so mm. it didn't sound. It didn't. His voice didn't sound as good because uh, I was asking him to sing lower than he was comfortable. Yeah, his register, obviously. Yeah. Then when I sang it, it was higher in my range, and it actually fit nicely. I blended it with two other harmony vocals, as is often the case. So I'm sure nobody would notice that. I'm singing the chorus of one of those songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic. We're rumbling subwoofers everywhere right yeah. now. If you happen to have a little bass in yes. your voice. Uh, okay, and uh, last question here. Um, MD, can you please ask Dr. Boss, you, Sean Cole, uh, what his favorite mics and positions are for violin? Also, what it's like teaching hashtag only at Nimbus. Uh, what's is that's it right? The that's it. Thing? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. The love. Yeah. Only, Hashtag only yeah. at Nimbus. Only at Nimbus. Uh, <laughs> violin. We're getting personal now with positioning. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I like <laughs> ribbon mics, frankly, and where it sounds best is where I would put the microphone, which often is above the violin, yes. somewhere where the f hole and the bridge project, not directly over the strings. Typically, a little bit off to the side. Right. Um. Sometimes I've had to do stereo pairs with crazy bluegrass fiddlers who dance all over the place and you can't get them to stay still. But with classically trained uh, violinists, it's a bit easier to get a good spot happening. Uh, And it's great to teach at Nimbus. Only at Nimbus is a hashtag they have. They're pushing. There are certain things that happen only at Nimbus. I'm confident in saying it's the third recording school that I've taught at and... uh, and uh, I I really love it. Like I said earlier, small class sizes is huge. I love huge. that. I and, love that uh, idea. And really taking on a mentorship role is really amazing and great support and insight from 
the founders. I, uh, I had to do a Skype video interview, or I had the opportunity and pleasure of doing it with, with <laughs> Bob Ezrin, <laughs> yeah. who's the Bob, one, yeah. one of the founders, did Pink Floyd's The Wall. And, and uh, so basically for two one-hour segments, I was on Skype with him. I recorded it, and I got to ask him questions related to the curriculum for two hours essentially I asked him nerd questions and then I cut them up into one and two minute snippets that I put into the curriculum so wow. like that's that was amazing and for them to also hear the insight from from Bob and Garth Richardson yeah. is, is pretty cool Garth's gonna come do the show apparently in a couple weeks amazing yeah he's a talented dude he's well. got a great face for podcasts <laughs> i'm gonna play him this clip that's gonna be fantastic yes. thank you uh thank you for answering these questions i think My everyone pleasure. will be satisfied for that uh you stick around while we wrap this up i sure will all right just hang tight one sec i thought there was gonna be drinks i've a thousand of them Scotch. At least, right yeah <laughs> nothing so uh i mean all in all i know time just kind of blew by so quickly with us today um I really appreciate you making the time to come down here, though. I loved every minute. Did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. That'd... You asked me to talk about myself. What's not to love? <laughs> <laughs> you'd, be a, you'd be surprised how hard of a pitch that is hmm. sometimes for folks. But uh, I really appreciate you coming down. Um, this has been, like, one of the cooler episodes for me because I get to uh, uh, essentially reach back into my past a bit and then kind of update it to a modern sense as well. So this is kind of a... I don't know. I don't know. I, there's a cliche for it. Turning a corner, full circling. I don't full, know. What the, yeah, that's yeah is that one. it? Full sure. circle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we start a new circle. So today, today's a new day. But um, Sean Cole, you're a talented guy, but you're also, you're also all over the, the map in terms of uh, what you have your hands in. Uh, you're co-owner of Fader Mountain. True. Uh, Fader Mountain's a, a studio uh, collective, an art collective. Um, but uh, you also own uh, Fader Master, which is underneath Fader Mountain. Um, so you're partners with uh, Garth Richardson and uh, Ben Kaplan and Ben Kaplan. That's right. Paul Jeez. Beckler and Daniel Byrne and See, Kevin Cowell. Know, a whole bunch of nerds, really. I, I started remembering these, and then I was like, oh man, I have to, I've named all of them if I say one of them, right? Yeah, I know. Yes, but uh, uh, super talented group of people there. Um, mm-hmm. People are looking uh, to, to have uh, recording time or, or anything of that nature. If you want to sit down for consultations, etc., definitely should reach out. Uh, Fair Mountain, you know, they're leading the way in a lot of ways here, and and I say that uh, here at Amp Records, and we uh, we absolutely think uh, the world of you guys. So absolutely, the feeling is mutual. My Come friend. on, you're, this isn't about me. <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> yeah, it's kind That's of. That's a like, nice watch you have. Is it? It's yeah. actually an MPC oh, uh, exact replica. Does so, it yeah. make beats? It actually counts BPM. All right. So, so I, it's, nice. it's man, it's funny you brought that up because I actually, uh, I, I would think of like something you would say actually when people would ask me about this. I would think about like, uh, so I'd be like, well, I'm glad you like my watch because if you could imagine being on a dance floor, everyone's having fun, and then the one guy in the corner just <laughs> tapping the rhythm, and it's like, guys, just so you know, it's 128. <laughs> this Rihanna song, it's 128. BPM, just in case you know. <laughs> so yeah, it does tap the BPM, but that's about it. So. Uh, you sound like a blast at parties. Yeah, yeah, just this, <laughs> that's the kind of entertainment I can bring mm-hmm. to this situation. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to follow Sean Cole, you can follow him very easily on Instagram and on Twitter at Doctor Boss. That's D O C T O R B O S S. One word, Doctor Boss. Uh, you can follow his exploits uh, as he teaches at Nimbus. Uh, school of recording and you can follow um, all their curriculum developments and maybe look into enrolling yourself if you're interested in getting involved i highly recommend sean as a teacher he's uh definitely helped me get into the industry and and helped uh, my path create for what it is today um that being said nimbusrecording.com uh add sean cole at dr boss and uh also again check out fader mountain for studio recording you're really good at this plugging business. I'm okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like I mean, it's an hour show. Right. People people tune into the end and they go, oh, it's like it's all just plugging for two minutes. So that's <laughs> <Right. laughs> good. You know. Yeah. Um, again, people, if you want to follow uh, me, I don't know why you'd want to do that, but if you want to follow me, intergalacticinterviews.com. You can follow all our old episodes. Don't don't forget to subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. Please subscribe because we're out there, we're slaving away for you, and that's all we want to do is see those numbers rise. 
uh, intergalacticinterviews.com. You can follow me on Twitter at MD underscore Boomsday, both on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can follow my exploits as I don't teach at uh, Nimbus. But uh, I, I, do, uh, I do watch from afar. You teach <laughs> in the game of life, my friend. You, well, you're a developmental producer, Oh, remember? yes. I remember... One day I heard that phrase was coined. I don't know where, but that was fantastic. Uh, again, uh, really appreciate you coming down uh, and uh, doing the show. Thank you so much. Uh, as the music rises here that you can obviously hear and post, uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you say goodbye to the listeners for us? Uh, thanks for tuning in, and make sure to tune in every week to Intergalactic Interviews. <laughs> that was the sweetest sweet jazz. <laughs> sweet jazz with Sean Cole. Here we go. Bye, everybody. Thank Bye. you.